So let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would live under your influence. Father, I pray that when we are tempted to fall into old fleshly uh, issues again, God, I pray that we realize that we live according to your spirit. Uh, Father, I pray that you would speak, continue to speak to us uh, as we look into your word. I pray that not only would we, would we listen to your word, but would God help us to do something with what it says. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. It's good to hear from you and good to see you this morning. And thanks for being online with us. If you brought your Bibles, you need to be in the book of Ephesians. And we'll be in Ephesians 4 this morning. Uh, and I'll uh, take us there in just a moment. I want to give you a chance to, uh, to find that passage, Ephesians 4. And we'll be looking at ver beginning with verse 17. If you were not able to join us Friday night on our Zoom invite, we had a uh, church-wide prayer meeting praying for our country, and we want to do that once again. And we are doing another Zoom meeting Friday night. If, you, if this is news to you that we met online, uh, if you will let us know, just uh, email office at newcupchurch.org, and we'll make sure that you're uh, receiving the Friday blasts and opportunities uh, for you to be able to join us. We looked at a passage, and I want this to be the driving passage for our prayer time. If you're on our, uh, if you're online, you can uh, get uh, get to our uh, prayer requests, and this is what we'll, we'll drive our prayer requests this week. Psalm 46. Uh, there are four verses. God is our refuge and our strength. He's always ready to help in times of trouble. We will not fear. When earthquakes come, when the mountains crumble into the sea, verse 7, the Lord of heaven's armies is here among us, the God of Israel. He's our fortress. The Lord of our heaven's armies is here among us, the God of Israel. He is our fortress. Whatever is just saying, when life is, is really shaky around you, when you're worried about the things that may come, Whatever may be on your heart at this particular time that's causing you to lose sleep or causing you to want to sleep more than normal. Uh, when you go to bed thinking about it, wake up in the morning thinking about it. Whatever, that seems to have a grip on you. This passage says several things. One, there is no panic in heaven. You need to know that. God is not freaking out thinking, oh no, what am I going to do now? We have a God who's the creator of the universe, and he is not freaking out. There's no panic in heaven. Number two, God meets us where we are. You do not have to go find him. It says that God is a very present help in time of trouble. Whatever you are facing, whatever is concerning you, whatever is keeping you awake, whatever, whatever it is that is causing you to lose peace, that you do not have to look far because God is a very present help in time of trouble. And last of all, what it says is, is our hope is not in a place but a person. Our hope is not in an election. Our hope is in God. Regardless of what becomes, God is not wringing his hands. He's not, he's not, not all in a city calling a meeting between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit and saying, now what are we going to do? He's in control. And so as we pursue Christ... We realize that there's no panic in heaven, that God meets us where we are, and that God's, uh, our hope is not in a place but a person. With that being said, let's pray to that person. 
Lord Jesus, thank you, thank you that we are able to have, have you right with us. And Father, I pray peace over the New Cuff family. God, how I pray that you would bring peace that would overwhelm our, our church family, that you are with us, that you are not out of control, that you've got this, whatever, whatever it is that is concerning us. Father, thank you that, that you're a very present help in time of trouble. And Father, I also <clears throat> pray for our country. Our country is in trouble. There's so much divisiveness. God, I pray that there would be a peace that would overwhelm us because our leaders, because we as followers, that we put our hope and trust in Jesus, the one who created it all. God, I pray that you would overwhelm us with your presence, with your peace. And Father, may our leaders in the United States, may, may they follow you. And if they're not, God, I pray that you would put people around them who influence them, that would point them towards Jesus. Father, we commit this next uh, bit of time to you. I pray that you would speak individually to us. I pray that you would guide my thinking, my words. I pray that you would jettison from my mind things that do not need to be shared, but the things that, that just need to be spoken to. And I pray that, that we would not just listen to your word, but help us to do what it says. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, jumping, <clears throat> excuse me, jumping back into uh, Ephesians 4, here's where we have been. We've, Paul calls the followers of Jesus to live their lives equal to the privilege of their calling. It is a privilege for us to be called children of God. It is a privilege for us to be in the family of God. And, and as, we, as we've learned in Ephesians, he wants us, he says, I want you to live lives that are in, worthy of the calling that you have. Or another way that we put it is that we are to live kingdom-minded lives. And if that sounds too churchy, then how about this? What's good for God? Then how we operate, how we do everything in life, how we do everything in life, we, we let the lens be, what is good for God in this situation? How I respond, how I react, how I hire, how I fire, how I work through conflict, how I don't work through conflict, how I vote, how, how whatever it is that we would say, what is good for God? And that we allow God's word, that we align our lives to God's word and let that breathe life into us. Because here's what we've learned in the first three chapters. Who we are, we're in Christ, is displayed now in chapters 4 through 6, is displayed in how we live. So just in case you are very uh, tired and thinking about taking a short nap, because it's difficult for me to tell with your masks on. I can't see mouths gaping open anymore. So with that being said, let me give you the bottom line of where we're headed, and then we'll, uh, we'll support it scripturally. Number one, as we look at, at the points here, we're not to live life the way we used to live because we're not the people we used to be. We're not to live the way we used to live because we're not the people we used to be. Galatians 2.20 would be probably the best focal passage on this one that is, is, we'll see here in, in just a moment. But I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The old man has died. So we don't live the way we used to when the old man was alive, uh, theologically speaking. 
you have died. When we receive Jesus Christ, he comes to live in us. The old man has died, and we now have a new man, which is Jesus Christ living in us. The life I live in the body, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we're not to live the way we used to because we, the old person has died. We now have Jesus Christ living in us. So we live a life worthy of the calling because Christ is the one who lives in us. Number two, a new spirit reveals itself in a changed lifestyle. When you're under the influence of Jesus Christ, and by the way, when you invite Christ to come to your life, all of the presence of God comes to live in you. Jesus Christ comes, his spirit comes to live in you. You don't get a little bit of Jesus, you get all of Jesus. And so it's learning for us to say no to the flesh that still likes to pull us back into old lifestyles, but we don't have to live that way anymore because the old man has died and we are filled and have the opportunity to be under the influence of the creator of the universe. Number three, our lifestyle reveals where our focus is. Our lifestyle reveals where our focus is. Let's look at verse 17 and 18. With the Lord's authority, and at this point, the, the, the clue bell ought to be going off. It, when, when something starts where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, it's on the final exam, Right? You would think with, with having the Lord's authority, you would think the creator of the universe has given me authority. It would be wise and behoove us to listen and apply what he says. I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles did, for they, they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. In other words, when their mind is full of darkness, they have no kingdom perspective. Or Chuck Swindoll puts it this way. They don't consider God in a daily way. They don't have in their minds what is good for God. They dismiss that and say, I'm going to do what is good for me or what is good for some other situation. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander from the life that God gives because they've closed their minds. They have hardened their hearts. They've committed so many sins over and over that their conscience no longer even convicts them of it because it's become a lifestyle. In fact, it says that it had, they have hardened their hearts against them. That word harden is the same word we get for when we talk about a petrified forest. That is, the, the old, the old uh, tree no longer is able to produce like it used to because it has become petrified. And notice that it keeps on, it says... They also, they have no sense of shame. In other words, uh, in the Greek it means unbridled lust, excess, outrageousness, shamelessness. They live for lustful pleasure, and they eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now, next week we'll hear a little more uh, definition about it. But Paul talks about, in chapter 5, verse 3, let there be no immorality, that we are different because we have, the old person has died, we now are filled with Christ, so no more immorality is the word he uses. The word in the Greek is pornea, from which we get the word pornograph, pornographic, pornography. And, and, and that is described as this in the Greek. It describes all kinds of sexual sin 
outside of God's design of one man, one woman marriage. So it means including all kinds of sexual sin outside of a marriage between a man and a woman or out no sexual sin once you're married outside the confines of one man, one woman. And so he says that is what it means to, to put away all immorality. So as he talks about this, the idea when I think about my own sinful nature, it really the DNA of sin is selfishness. We begin to ignore the existence of God or his rightful claim on us. One of the most powerful passages, I think, in the Bible are the first, uh, is Genesis 1-1, that says, In the beginning, God. I mean, you think about that. In the beginning, God. Not in the beginning, me. Not in the beginning, some other institution. But in the beginning, God. And so the fact that God has always been says, I should be yielding to that which is of greater authority, the, the one who's always existed. And so sin is ignoring God. It is saying, I don't care what God's design is for my life. I'll do what I want, when I want, however much I want, as long as I want. It's put this way, because God is not in his rightful place in my living, that is the center of it all, I then insert myself in that place. We, 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 we say, I, I'm going to be the center. I'm going to be the hub of my life. That'll be the lens by which I live my life. We cannot insert ourselves into the center of our world and have him at the center too. I've heard it put this way. The throne of God is a one-seater. And too many times we want to be co-owners. And this is not what this is saying. Because it says, I have died with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. So the problem is my life becomes all about me, what I want, when I want, my rights. And I reduce my focus to the small space of my wants, my needs, and my feelings. Ouch. When we begin to find ourselves in turmoil many times, not always, many times, it's because things are not going the way we want them to. And so the first question is, is God in his rightful place? Look at verse 20. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. So this is where he comes to say, this is not what you learned. And this word learned is an interesting word. It doesn't mean head knowledge. It means head knowledge with personal relationship. So that it's in a personal relationship. So as you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, there's this personal relationship with him that says, this is not what you learned in your relationship with Christ as you hung out with him, uh, when you became his follower as you followed so closely that the dust from his sandals cake your face, you're walking so close. When Jesus stops, you ought to be bumping into him instead of going your own way. This isn't what you learned. It's such a personal, intimate relationship with him that he influences impacts the way you are. The per as we talked about, truth is personal and it's Jesus. In light of that, look at verse 22. He uses incredibly strong language. Therefore, throw off, remove, renounce, 
get rid of your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So it's saying there's something that needs to happen. You cast it off. You don't just put something else on top of it. You get rid of the old the old way of doing things, and you put on a new, we'll see here, uh, put on a new spirit of Christ. Verse 23 says, Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So you throw off the old and you recognize the presence of Jesus Christ in your life. And notice how, it, how that happens. It's really interesting here. It says, you let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. We have to be so careful of what we focus on because what you focus on, you get more of. If you focus on self, you fall into more of selfishness. If you focus on the Spirit of Christ who lives in you, you become more and more like him. I liked what Jenny Allen said about this. The greatest spiritual battle of our generation is being fought between our ears. Isn't that so true? That so much of what we're doing, it's, it's the stuff that's going on in our heads. What we believe and what we think about matters, and the enemy knows it. He is determined to get into your head, he is determined to distract you from focusing on Christ. And to sink you so deep that you feel helpless, overwhelmed, shut down, incapable of rising to make a difference in the kingdom of God. What is good for God? And so Satan wants you to get off of what he is called, what God has called you to, and he's just going to put all kinds of thoughts. And he also knows where our tendencies are, where we tend to fall uh, in some areas or not. And so with areas where. Where, he, where we struggle, Satan manipulates and tries to get us to get our thoughts off of what our new, our new relationship with Christ and onto the old way of doing things. And some of that, we just have to be self-aware, right? I mean, there are things that I grew up with that were not good events that took place, and so I learned to adapt in certain ways, and many times that old way to adapt begins to show itself in controlling issues. I'm a control enthusiast. And so when things don't go my way, my way is not to retreat and withdraw. Mine is to figure out how am I going to control people around me or control things around me. Yeah, nothing wrong with making a plan and being strategic, but I know when I'm, when I'm living out of my old, old flesh of trying to control things. The past nine months have been very difficult on me. And I'm sure you. But for those of us that are control enthusiasts, this, so much of what's going on is just out of control. And Satan knows that and wants to leverage this for, for us. When you opened your life to Christ, you were given a new set of clothes, in other words. You, we, get, we get to live life differently. We do conflict differently. We, 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 get to, we get to forgive differently. We get to live our lives differently. We get to live in this way. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. We get to have the presence of the creator of the universe who comes alongside and says, I'm not freaking out. I've got this. Just trust me. I'll bring peace to you.
And I've got plans to make uh, to, for, for you to have a future and a hope. So Paul was not content just to explain the principle. He did, I think he did a good job here. But let's have a little sneak peek into what, some, what was going on in that Ephesian church. So let's, uh, and, and I'm just so glad none of this is about us, okay? So stop telling lies. Let, let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. So he just says, what comes out of your mouth matters. And so be careful how you interact with, with one another. We must speak the truth, but Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth with love. That we speak from a, a motivation that we love and care about people. That doesn't apply to us. Let's get to 26. And don't let sin, and, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold for the devil. I should just move on, because there are no anger issues around us. I, th I think what is interesting, it, it says, in your anger do not sin, is another way to put that. So the issue is not ever being upset about something, but it's how you handle the anger that comes within you. And the, the basic way to handle anger, anger is sinful when it attacks people and seeks revenge instead of addressing the problem. Be angry about the problem and you speak the truth in love because of relationships matter. We're all part of the family of God. So watch how you deliver the message. Verse 28, if you're a thief, then quit stealing makes sense. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and give generously. It just means put in a full day's work. And, and especially now that we have opportunity to work uh, at home, some, for some of us that's a blessing. For others, it is a curse. But if you have the opportunity to, to, to work at home, work hard. Don't hide your plane. Work hard. You're being paid, so work hard. Be different than those around us. And then it says to give generously. Not just give. Give generously to those around you. That you recognize what I have is, is, has been given to me, and so I have an open hand with opportunities that come before you. And I do want to thank you for your giving. Let me talk about giving here at New Cove. You guys... It's, it's made a difference. Uh, we're not quite where we want to be, but that's understandable. But if what, as you're giving, it matters. And, and you may think your little giving doesn't matter, and especially when you're online, you tend to not think about it. But it makes a difference, and it keeps our church because our church is con committed to creating environments where people can experience the presence of God. And where relationships matter. And so as you give to New Cove, as little or as much as you can, that I want you to know it matters and it makes a difference. So thank you. And this says that we are to give generously to others who have needs. Our church is in the midst of meeting needs of those who are struggling. And so when you give generously, it helps us to be more generous with the needs that come in. Verse 29, don't use foul or abusive language. This next part you ought to underline and highlight and circle. Let everything you say, 
Let everything you say be good, be helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear. Again, truth and love. It's not, not, not saying we don't speak the truth, but let everything you say be good. Let it be helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Verse 30, don't bring sorrow to God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not leave us. The Bible is very clear. That is uh, God's deposit in us. And so when you receive Jesus Christ, uh, he, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. He promises to never leave you. It is a guarantee. But you have the opportunity to give the Holy Spirit freedom in all of your life, or you have opportunity to squelch him. In, in my simple thinking, you have an opportunity to tell Jesus to just go to his room and stay in there, and you'll come get him out when you need him. He's in the house, but he's limited to one room that you put him in. And I want to say, take the hinges off. Let him roam the house. Let him have access to all of us. Because that's what it means to let the Holy Spirit live in your life. How you operate from the time you get up to the time you go to bed as well. Remember, he's identified you as his own, guaranteeing you you will be saved on the day of redemption. A changed heart results in a changed mouth. What comes out of the mouth reveals who's in charge of the heart. He closes with this, so get rid of all bitterness, get rid of all rage, get rid of all anger, get rid of all harsh words, get rid of all slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Get, get rid of because bitterness leads to a hardening of the heart, and that's the last thing we need is to be bitter towards one. Keep short accounts. And be careful how you deliver the message. He closes with this. Instead, be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Forgive one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Whatever sin God has not forgiven you, you can hold that against somebody else too, okay? But he's forgiven you of all your sins. And so as just as we've been forgiven, we should do everything we can to forgive those around us. Because life is messy, community is messy, and you're going to mess up, I'm going to mess up. But the message of Jesus Christ is way too important for us to divide and become bitter and resentful. So be tender-hearted, kind, and, and be quick to, to forgive as God has forgiven you. Let's pray together. Father, I pray, um, I pray that we would be so under your influence. I pray that any time our old sinful nature, that old flesh comes up, that when we're tempted to go to something that's familiar and that could bring relief, immediate relief, but not long-term relief, God, May we allow you out of your room, and may we be under your influence. Father, I pray that we would be a church that focuses on you and then points people to you. Father, we commit our heart to you. We commit our lives to you. Father, I 
recommit my life to you. I, I want to be under your influence. May I not grieve and, and, and cause you to not be able to work in my life because of choices I make. May I choose to let you run my life. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We would like for you to respond. Uh, you can text 402-260-2400. If you're on our new platform, it's right up on your right side. You can go there and put in prayer requests. You can give. You can communicate with us. Uh, Those prayer requests matter. The the Psalm 46 will be what drives our prayers for us this week, that God will be your refuge, will be your strength, and that you and I will be under the influence of Jesus Christ.